Hello, this is The Movie Brew, a podcast about British film and filmmakers. My name is Tarek Kawaja, and today on the podcast, we'll be diving into the 1985 British-American dystopian sci-fi cult classic, Brazil, directed by Terry Gilliam. Now, we had a lot of fun watching this movie, and there was so much to unpack here, so I know that you're going to enjoy this. Now, without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Lester after watching Brazil. Lester. Hello. We're doing this. We're, we're doing it. We've committed now yeah we've done a podcast yeah and now we're here doing another podcast doing another together one with so now structure we're well. officially not one-offs we're officially yeah, no. just doing this proper serial couple of serial boys <laughs> a couple of captain crunches just in. <laughs> a couple of serial podcasters <laughs> uh so today we're talking about a movie that you're quite familiar with but i've never seen before yeah brazil do you want to give us a little what it's about, what we're talking about. So, Brazil, uh, let me get the synopsis up. That'll be the best way to do it. Um, so, it's set in a sort of dystopian, like, bureaucratic future. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, the film came out in 1985, which is not a coincidence because mm-hmm. it's kind of supposed to be a, almost a sequel to 1984, the novel. Um, and. So, oh, that's the synopsis for the country. That's no good, is it? <laughs> that's not, I mean, we could learn about it if you want. I don't think it's really what the, what people are listening in for, though. Okay. So, uh, Brazil is low-level bureaucrat Sam Lowry, who is played by Jonathan Price, uh, escapes the monotony of his day-to-day life through a recurring daydream of himself as a virtuous hero saving a beautiful damsel. Uh, It then kind of transpires. He kind of learns a bit about himself, makes a few changes. He kind of progresses in his career a bit more. And he starts investigating a case uh, involving this woman that he's seen in his dreams. Yeah. And also a, was it like an administrative error? Yeah. uh, For this known terrorist, Harry Tuttle. Yeah. Um, And he just kind of follows that. And things transpire along the way, and it kind of jumps around genres as well. Oh, like it was, we should, yeah, it's yeah. it's a bit of everything. Yeah, like that's why in, I love it. The hardest thing you can do when talking about this film is try and describe what it is because it's kind of a bit of everything. It's everything. It's got some crime noir in there. It's got yeah. It's got nineteen twenties noir with like gangster suits and Al Capone hats that's and stuff. Great. But it's also got some fantasy stuff in there. Yeah. It's also got this kind of blade runnery type feel this dystopian future type feel um one thing i took away from it was kind of a lot of matrix type vibes of is this real is it not real sort of things in there so much stuff to do so with that and with the fact that we're talking about a kind of very surrealist film today i think we're going to change it up with the structure yeah, and we're gonna we're not doing a play by play. We're, we're not gonna... doing a play by play like we did last week. <laughs> of this is exactly how the plot went. This is what happened in it. Rather, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about some of the kind of things that happened behind the scenes leading up to the production. We're also gonna talk about um, some some of the techniques used behind the scenes and really dive into the ideas behind the film and yeah. the the theories behind it and 
yeah what it's trying to say because i think that's the most interesting thing you can do when you're talking about a film like this yeah it's one of those ones uh you can kind of read a lot into it and pull pull stuff out of it and i i'm sure it's one of those ones where everyone has their own idea of yeah. what's going on in it yeah which is makes it great for talking about i mean it's great so that being said we're going to jump right into it with the uh production stuff that happened behind it now i've got i've got some notes here about some things that happened yeah i don't know much about this so um so i'm gonna I'm let me let me wax lyrical about some of the research that i've done do it behind the scenes finding out what's going on what happened <laughs> with this film um so the one thing that i know like you mentioned it a little bit you said it's 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 it's, it's kind of spiritual sequel to 90, 1984 yeah um sin not seen 1984 but that yeah. probably will go on our list at some point if it's a british, Is film, a british film i don't know we'll look it up, we'll look it up. <laughs> um but yeah so sequel to 1984 and uh terry gilliam originally wanted to call this film 1984 and a half because he's really into yeah, that's funny yes yeah, so he's really into frederica fellini made eight and a half and he kind of okay, really yeah. wanted to kind of uh kind of set that tone with that with that as the original title for the film the f script was developed between him and a guy called charles alverson okay. but that guy never got original credit for the film so he kind of was paid for his work and developed it with terry gilliam for the first draft and they kept going back and forth with it then eventually as it went on that guy never really got credit until much later Oof. so that Oof. was some, some uh some tension on behind Ouch. it some other stuff that happened that I found out was there was uh, this whole thing, the same thing that happened with Blade Runner a little bit later, I think, mm -hmm. uh, was this kind of fight between, and it's something that still happens today, especially with like big franchise movies like Star Wars and stuff. There's a big fight between the studio, 20th, 20th Century Fox, and Terry Gilliam for how he originally saw the film being made. Uh, okay. So they actually, in America, with Fox Studios re uh saw that the ending wasn't testing very well and they recut the ending as to make it oh. seem happier and he was fighting against that for I would a be long furious time furious about yeah. that because the ending is everything. it's a whole point of it yeah. isn't it and it's that they originally they were talking about yeah recutting it and they were actually Jeez. kind of fighting studios there was a whole cut of the film going on that he wasn't involved with yeah. and it's only when it started getting awards recognition later on that they were like they agreed to have like a final new recut of the movie and Terry Gilliam to have final say over that sort of cut, which is the version that we watched. But they still wouldn't let him have the uh, the sort of yeah the theatrical worth of unicorn things that he wanted to put in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all of the running, the, all, the all, origami. Yeah, all the crazy that stuff that's in there. They went, you know, if we let you do it, then we've got you know we've got to let it happen for everyone. Which is interesting because watching it, because watching it, it's kind of got two endings. Yes. It's yeah. got, it's like the version that we watched had an ending in there yeah. at a point where it naturally felt like this is the Hollywood ending. I mean, there's a few, there are, you know, there's there's like a few things near the end where you go, oh, it's going to end here. And then it goes, it keeps going and yeah. and develops even more. And you go, oh, it's going to end here. And then it develops even more again. Exactly. So it does, it does, you, there's a few of those. But rather than it feeling like it's dragging, it's more like peeling back layers and layers yeah, of an onion of what's intrigue. going on. Yeah. The whole movie's an onion. And we're just <laughs> peeling back those layers. It's, you're saying it's Shrek? <laughs> it's a precursor to shrek it's a casserole it's proto shrek is what it is. 
Um, so yeah, so that's that's my knowledge. That's my that's my wax lyrical Wikipedia research on uh, what's happened with the uh, with the movie. With that, gonna jump into some tacky stuff. Yeah, yeah, let's do um, it. I have an affinity of love for shots that are made to look like or shot as in one take yeah. and i just kind of i've got to throw love at that shot of the of them in the um office area where it's showing the chaos of them and it's tracking uh, all these different workers as they're moving through all of these <laughs> different things and it's all made to look like it's one take and they're following the bus guy and he's like tell them yes tell yeah. them no and it's all showing the chaoticness of that mail room until it show yeah. until it goes back into the boss um was it mr krautsman i think it was mr krautsman um oh his uh his first boss yeah yes yeah, his yeah. first boss mr krautsman and mm-hmm. uh it kind of ends up there so it's not only showing the chaoticness of it but the hierarchy of the workplace and what's going on there yeah and i thought that was really interesting of just showing the chaoticness then moving the camera back showing the hierarchy of it yeah and then ending there and then showing the whole wide aspect of the whole room suddenly go from extremely loud to extremely quiet and everyone's just like playing games and just not yeah. ignoring everything that's going on there so i'm gonna pepper in at this point because we'll come into it later but that scene they are watching a film right and then the boss comes out and they're like no no we're at work they're watching yeah. a film the film they're watching i can't remember what the first one is the second one they watch is casablanca they allude to that the first one's like some old western like uh spaghetti western film oh right? is it yeah yeah it's it's all old films and i'll yeah. explain why later on but i just want to put that in there now spaghetti and then we'll Westerns. get around we'll get around to the sound i'll pepper in some more stuff and then oh, i'll yeah. explain it so, i didn't yeah. pick up on that carry on oh man that's great so much stuff um <laughs> so there's yeah so there's loads of stuff like that i also made my how to direct like terry gilliam notes i fucking <laughs> loved how he directs man it's crazy it's not like anyone else yeah no it's it's he loves a wide angle lens we were talking so about this much. before we started recording he just like step one by a wide angle lens yeah. like it's just all so many of these shots just like are so wide and where other people would put a cr- close-up it's almost like he's got he's got like a real disdain for close-ups yeah, like he, the there's way. only i think there's only one or two scenes in the entire movie where he puts a close-up in a camera yeah and i'm not sure if those are for emotional effect or if they're for like actual constraints because you can't actually put a wide angle lens inside a truck in the front like seat of a truck so i don't hmm. i don't know i think it's partly practical uh but there's definitely an element uh to help with the narrative yeah and it's all could also be linked i wrote noted it down from back going back to his monty python days as well mm. of like um he really likes to let comedy play out in a wide shot yeah, and yeah. let those let the actors move in the space that they're in and show more where other people would just kind of go into a medium close-up or a close-up yeah, yeah he's really likes to let the action play out in front yeah, of him kind of captures the chemistry of people yeah you know bouncing off each other and i thought that was that was extremely interesting it's he bloody good. loves his dutch angles loves oh, to tilt yeah. that camera loves it oh so great drunk. yeah but it, it's, <laughs> it's so great because it's kind of like it's kind of like add, adding that element of otherworldliness and yeah, like yeah, totally. uh, that kind of fantasy aspect to it and everything's not quite right something's just yeah. a bit a little bit off the, and all that all that all those shots add to that yeah the, the 
I always find whenever I watch a Terry Gilliam film, because I love all of them, um, you go back and watch like just any other film not by Terry Gilliam afterwards, you're like, something looks weird here. But it's like, no, the Terry Gilliam <laughs> film looks weird. the weird one. You're just used to it now because yeah. you've been watching it for like a couple hours or whatever. <laughs> you're like, why is everything so close to me? I don't know. <laughs> but it's weird. It's, it's weird. That's, that's why I always feel like his films always feel like otherworldliness. And yeah. you'll know more about this than I do because you've seen more of Terry Gilliam's films than I have. I mean, my knowledge, this is the first time I watched Brazil just uh, as we, as before we came like to record it yeah literally we had half an hour about sort of talking about our ideas of it and stuff and then came to record this podcast that was the first time watching it and i really said to you i said to you i really wish i had like a little bit more time to just kind of formulate just kind of process what just happened <laughs> yeah, i mean lot. that whole thing was just there was so much going on with that movie and it was just yeah it was it was great but as i was saying kind of my knowledge of terry gilliam starts with monty python and the holy grail yeah and like his experience with monty python stuff and then it's fear and loathing in las vegas that's a great film and that's about it for like yeah. as much as i know for terry gilliam like just but only seeing those two you get what you need you get with what you need to understand the aspect of how we make stuff it's yeah. always surreal it's always otherworldly it's always got something going on behind what it is actually trying to say yeah and i feel like that this film more than any of the others that i've seen displays that with full force oh yeah he doesn't hold back on this one i think that's why i love it so much um because i mean all of his films are great and surreal and everything but it's just like uh, yeah it's just like he he just it's kind of like yeah i don't give a shit on this one i'm doing what i want to do and yeah. i'm gonna do it the way i want to do it and it's uncompromising if there's one yes, word to describe exactly this film it. it's uncompromising that's the perfect word for it and it's yeah. it's just throwing shit at the screen <laughs> and you are watching one madman's yeah. vision yeah and, he's like, and you, you are fucking <laughs> loving it the entire time um so we should probably get into some of the characters and stuff that are in this well, let's uh, get into the sound first. Right. Let's get into the sound, and then we'll do characters. Yeah. Because uh, characters tie into some theories about the film, which okay. I'd like to develop later yeah. on. Okay, cool. So I'll let you go for sound first, because I've got okay. more kind of visual stuff than sound. So I want to I hear what your okay. ideas on that. So um, obviously the like original soundtrack stuff is, is great, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of use of um, like staccato stuff. Like the that all, Latin like, song, like, that bum bum bum. Well, bum, yeah, bum, I mean, ba, da, da, da. yeah, but I, I mean, um, like the orchestral parts where they yeah. they have like a lot of just like it'll be like a brass band just doing like a big note and then just cutting it off and then there's silence. Yeah, drafters and it just is really impactful and great. <laughs> and then yeah, you get onto the um the the actual choices of music uh for the world, and you've got <laughs> yeah the Brazil song yeah everyone knows. <laughs> oh great you've got um oh man there's there's a bunch of them i can't remember off, off the top of my head now but basically what i'm getting at is so that brazil song that's an old song yeah it's like an old uh, i think it's a royalty free song yeah but a big band tune back for back yeah back in the mean, day. It's, like, it's like a it's like a stand like a jazz standard kind yeah, of thing. yeah yeah um and then you've got a bunch of other songs in there as well when they're like listening to the radio or off the tv or whatever just in the background um also from that time kind of royalty free stuff then you have as i mentioned before they're you know in the office they're watching that old western film yeah and then afterwards they're like oh what are we gonna watch next casablanca all old stuff okay 
So this is one of the points of the world building that I really like is bureaucracy's gotten so far, there's no creativity anymore. Mm-hmm. That's why they're listening to that stuff. Oh, wow. There's nothing new coming out because everyone's doing paperwork. Because no man. one's making music. No one's creating anything. Shit, man. You just blew my mind with another level. Yeah. There's a whole other level to they're this. All, they're all consuming the same stuff they've been consuming for so years. So it's all pre-recorded music and stuff that's no already been. No one's making anything new. So they're all watching the same old films, listening to the same old songs. Yeah. And that's why everyone in that film, well, every like main character in that film, at some point, hums that Brazil song. Because everyone knows it because it's like... I don't know. Like, have you ever played the game Fallout? There's like five old songs in yeah, there. They yeah, just get yeah. stuck in your head the after a while. All, all they're all living repeat. that. They're yeah. all they 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 all know the same handful of songs because that's all they got. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That's that's it's cool. That's a fucking bombshell right there. That's <laughs> just, I like that. No, because I was paying more attention to like the visual sort of stuff that was going on. Yeah. But you're totally right with that whole aspect of all of those all of those pre-recorded stuff that's that's on there yeah amazing there's nothing i mean the the only uh bit of creativity you see is in like the fashion of the very very wealthy yeah everyone else is wearing gray suits and even to the point with the art that they use some of them to decorate their music there's no mm. new creativity yeah and it's all like old propaganda stuff all the posters yep, up on yep, the walls yep, yep, yep. and things there's nothing uh, thought-provoking no it's all it's all statements and this is how you need to behave yeah because it kind of links into some of the ideas that we're going to talk about in our theories that thing about it ideas does. being does. Uh, ideas being out and yeah. like not being a part of it. Actually, the la- the last point I want to get onto with um regarding visuals is how much this film can do with the color gray. Yeah, it's a washed out film. There's not a lot of color in here, but it uses it so well. But when there is color, oh yeah, it's it like, makes an impact. It makes an impact. It's used for gore. It's used for all oh. that stuff that's in there. <laughs> it's used for the bright neon lights that are in this film yeah. as well. That's the thing. It walks this line between this old nineteen forties like um, genre of thriller noir type yeah. thing with with all of that gray but then all these bright neon lights of like mm-hmm. these kind of like 70s songs and stuff that are in there as well of that kind of that old saxophony kind of noirish yeah, like kind the, of vibe the OST stuff yeah, yeah 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 and then you've got and then you've got this whole other layer to it with all of these kind of different yeah, just different shades, different colors. Yeah. If 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 you're gonna describe this film as well, you're also, you also gotta kind of call it what it is is like a collage of these mishmash yeah. of different ideas, yeah, yeah. all to make this one big statement. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're not to really talking about plot and stuff with this film because it's not really about that. There yeah, is a story. There's a story and there's a message. But there's it's it's very more visual. about yeah. It's more about the it's more about the idea behind the story than the yeah. story itself. To a point where there's a point in the film where the actual narrative story that you think you're watching ends, and the surrealism like gets turned up to eleven. Yeah, and it's kind of like it's the the movie's taking a different path from the narrative story elements, and it's just taking you through this surrealist thing all to point towards the message yeah you know um before we get onto that sort mm-hmm. of stuff i want to just jump in and just throw some love to the special effects guys behind oh, this film so good so good i love any film with physical special effects i'm already kind of won over by and this you know, is like you it. mentioned you mentioned that this was very john carpenter in its yeah, approach there's, there's some some gore in there that's very carpenter yeah and like we sure. both 
love John Carpenter. <laughs> like, love John Carpenter yeah. for all of his stuff. But this, yeah, this, this, um, yeah, this one especially is a very John Carpenter with some of his special effects and stuff. So we got two big special effect guys, special effects guys behind this. You got George Gibbs mm-hmm. did Temple of Doom. Yeah, as well great as one. as Melty faces. Yeah, as well as a bunch of other stuff. And you've got Ron Burton, who was behind Aliens number yeah. two. Yeah, that's a great Superman one. number one. That's also a great one. Batman nineteen eighty nine, otherwise known as Batman the first one. It's oh, one with. Uh the joker right yeah jack nicholson jack nicholson oh, i love that one so good all of the but the, saying those films out to you, you kind of get the idea of like it works it, it works yeah. in this tapestry of like the, the special effects and stuff behind this film the world that they've created some of the model work that they did with um with jo- jonathan price's character when he's got he he daydreams that he wants to be this kind of superman-esque character yeah. going out saving damsels in distress and there's areas some of the model work that they do where he's got this big giant like mechanical wings oh, so good and he's so like good. flying around and you just see it and it's amazing yeah like i watched um a little bit of this uh like kind of in sort of the research for this like looking it up and i saw how they filmed that sort of section oh, cool. and basically what they did was they um so they had this model set up on a string right mm-hmm. and the guys the t- special effects guys were like super worried about it because they're like when terry Gilliam says he wants to see something fly like he wants to fucking see something fly <laughs> he does not he's like other people like it's fine you can give the illusion of certain stuff this like we, we're not fooling him yeah, like he wants flying. to see something fly <laughs> so what they did was they got this model and got these mechanical like powered wings to like fly super super fast and then they filmed it on on film speed on kodak film speed five times faster oh my God. and then slowed it down to make it look like it's got this otherworldly effect as it's kind of like flying through all these different effects yeah to that's, give it that sort of dream effect as it's really kind of cool. flying yeah it's wow. super cool um yeah shout if you if you want to know more about brazil and stuff there's a documentary on youtube called what is brazil i watched the first 10 minutes of it blew my mind <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so yeah definitely 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 check that out because that's yeah that's that's i found that absolutely fascinating yeah um but yeah so that's kind of like some of the special effectsy type stuff that i just absolutely loved let's get into what this story is yeah what let's do it is the story of brazil so at this point of the podcast if you haven't watched brazil go and watch it you don't want to because spoil anything. I, well, yeah, I'm just going to give them a warning because it's, in my eyes, it's so worth a watch before you listen to this if you haven't seen it already. I think there are going to be a, quite a few people that have, like, that may be like me and have not seen Brazil. Yeah. They are going on. And, and, and I, while I definitely recommend to seek out and search for this movie, um, we're not going to get too much into kind of plot sort of stuff in here. Yeah. But yeah. there's definite ideas in here that we're going to definitely get into stuff that we won't be able to avoid yeah. so. so if you don't care about spoilers or if you do want to just listen to our conversation carry on listening <laughs> yeah yeah but definitely definitely check and seek out this this just check surreal it out movie and then you can come back and listen to us talk about it at length yeah and you can be like oh yeah <laughs> these guys so- are great <laughs> <laughs> this is so great um all right so jonathan price yeah um you know years before he was going to be in game of thrones 
Uh, oh, yeah, he is a nut. <laughs> <laughs> Faith of Seven comes in, and he is a low-level kind of bureaucratic worker. Yeah. We've already mentioned this. Daydreaming about saving damsel in distress, kind of going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some great, great actors in here. We've got Robert De Niro. Oh, the cast is stellar. The cast Kim, is great. We got. Yeah. So let me. I'll read out the top ones. So you got obviously Jonathan Price, Kim Grist. Yeah. And we got Robert De Niro, who's got, got a bit Holland. of an elevated cameo in this, but it is just so great. Oh, it's really good though. Yeah. I that is uh, that's got to be up there with some yeah. of my top favorite De Niro performances. Just him in this movie. Yeah. And I've got a little tidbit for you actually um, from an interview that I watched. Okay. Uh, from from Terry Gilliam, and it was. He was doing an interview and he was talking about Robert De Niro in the scene. It was the first scene where he appears in uh, to come and like fix the air conditioning in Jonathan yeah. Price's house. And he comes in for it and Robert De Niro was having a conversation. And they kept doing takes for it and they kept and he, Terry Gilliam wasn't worried about it. I was a bit worried about it because they were having conversations and stuff. And John and Robert De Niro, obviously, like he was well established at this point, worked with a bunch of directors, but he was a big fan of Terry Gilliam and he was super nervous about yeah. playing this character and doing this thing <laughs> and being in this world because it's so different to all of this other stuff that he's done. Oh yeah. And so behind the scenes when they're talking about this, he had this real, it was the first day of shooting, they kept going through takes and stuff and he was super, super nervous about doing all these takes and getting through it. But in the end, you know, Derek Gilliam was a bit worried about the whole thing and was right. just kind of like, oh God, here we go. Like, we're just going to have to like keep going for this and keep going until he gets comfortable with it. But in the end, it was totally part of Robert De Niro's plan because he's added this whole other level of this nervousness and urgency that was totally part of his character. <laughs> so when you're watching it in that first scene when he's like running through the whole thing, that nervousness plays on screen for that first yeah, you know that first um, encounter he's all, with he's him. All paranoid and, he's all paranoid, and yeah. he's all going for it. And you, that's just you know that's part of the character, but it's also part Robert De Niro oh, doing great. a Terry Gilliam film. Yeah, which I just thought was amazing. Yeah, it's such good. a rat, like such a cool little fact. But yeah, so I, I like I just fucking love that. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> great. So you got some real uh, some real emotion in there. Yeah, nice. yeah. Hi there. Tarek here, just jumping in with a couple of things before we move on with the rest of the episode. Uh, first of all, we want to thank everyone that's reached out to us uh, with their feedback and their thoughts on the last episode on In Bruges. We really appreciate all your thoughts and feedback. If you've got any takes that you agree or disagree with, or you've got any suggestions of any movies we should check out in the future, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at The Movie Brew. We've got a Facebook as well set up, facebook.com slash The Movie Brew if you want to reach us there. If you've got any longer stuff that you want to send to us, you can send us an email at hello at themoviebrew.com. Um, if you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I know it's a podcast. Everyone's always asking you, hey, rate and review us. But honestly, it really makes that much of a difference. And if you enjoy what you're hearing and you want to hear more of it, please send us a five-star review and send us some love over there. So yeah, channel that love. Send us some five stars. Um, that's all for me. And without further ado, let's jump back into the rest of the episode with Lester after watching Brazil. Now, what we're going to do is rather than kind of go through the plot, we're just going to talk about some of our favorite little pick moments, yeah. pick out some bits and talk and just kind of jump into our ideas and theories and yeah. things. Um, so is there, it's, I'll, I'll let you go first for what your, what your ideas are. 
what you're thinking. Um, so, well, let's go. Let's go through a couple of scenes first. Um, so, I'll, I'll sort of pick out three of my favorite scenes. So, my first one is um, there's the bit where uh, Sam Lowry, the main character, Jonathan Price, he's gone to deliver this check to this widowed woman. Who um so the whole thing is uh the the bureaucracy agency whatever they are um they've sent out uh like sent out some guys to go and get this guy called uh Buttle the last name Buttle but it was a typo they're actually after Harry Tuttle so they got this guy by accident and it's uh the widow of that fella that got taken in and killed um so Sam Lowry goes to give this uh refund check it's a refund for the uh interrogation yeah which is how they're charging people to be interrogated which is just <laughs> hilarious um so he goes in there and she is like her house has just been ruined by these people you know breaking in there cut a big hole in the ceiling come down and take her her uh, husband away and she's just staring at a window. She's just, just her life is in tatters. Yeah. And she's just, she is not well. She's she, lost it at this she's point. She's lost the plot. Yeah. yeah. She just, just doesn't know how to carry on. And he's turned up there to give her this check. And what I like about it is um, it's early in the film and it kind of shows you how out of touch he is. Yeah. Because he's trying to, he's giving her this check and he's also, he's kind of like fishing for a compliment, like for her to be like, oh, thank you so much for driving down here and giving me this check for my husband that you yeah. guys killed. Yeah. And he's kind of, he's sort of like edging for it. He's like, you know, usually we wouldn't drive all this way just to hand a check down. thanks to my yeah, efforts, you're you know. welcome. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I just really like that because it's this very good setup for um, the kind of mindset of everyone who works in that company. Yeah. And I, I really like that one. Yeah. Um, so my... My most favorite one, I'm just going through chronologically, but this is my most favorite scene, is the fight scene in his like daydreams against the giant samurai. I loved that just, scene. Just visually, it's just stunning. And it has so much uh, metaphorical meaning. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's him. He's he's in his, you know, angel kind of suit thing, and he has a sword. Yeah. And there's this giant, it's like, what, like a 10-foot samurai, something silly like that? Like yeah. Just this big, beasty samurai. He's cutting it. There's, like, fire coming out of it. Like, real fire. Someone wore this thing and had fire coming yeah. out of them. <laughs> we, which bought, we, kept we talked about that as we were watching <laughs> it. Just like... like that poor guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Jerry, you're going to have a tough day on set, right? <laughs> yeah. We're going to throw a sword at your foot. <laughs> then we're going to set it on fire. <laughs> then you got fire coming out of your chest. <laughs> But um, also picking up on that scene that you were mentioning as well, I wrote down uh, something that I thought was absolutely great is that this film did the Star Wars thing of having the guy have a vision about himself being the bad guy and then pulling oh, back yeah, the ma yeah, mask yeah. and looking back yeah. and it's like, oh, it's my face type yeah, thing. Yeah. Even in that same sort of way. And I just thought that was so great. <laughs> <laughs> Loved that yeah. whole like sort of vision quest type thing. Definitely, yeah. So that's like the big turning point in this character's uh, outlook on life. Yeah. He's kind of realized like, oh, I'm part of the problem here. Because yeah. like, as you said, he defeats this samurai, takes off his helmet and it's him underneath. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of like him getting rid of that uh, cold, uncaring part of him. 
Yeah. And from that moment on throughout the film, he you see him actually have like empathy and compassion. And do things where it would where you wouldn't impulsive. do it before. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Be does, a bit impulsive. Do some crazy heroic stuff. And yeah, do some more heroic stuff than he would do at the start. I mean, yeah. there's a scene earlier on where he's with his mother, they're in a restaurant, and they're having dinner and stuff. Um, which I just thought was That's which was amazing. Scene. And there's a terror attack in the actual uh, restaurant it's like two tables away from them and their reaction <laughs> the restaurant's reaction to this was to put dividers on yeah and them to just, just carry apologize. on their conversation and every yeah. one of those restaurants just carries on like nothing's going on yeah and in the while in the background and this is something that terry gilliam does it a lot during this movie of this foreground versus background yeah things yeah. happening people ignoring these horrific things that are happening yeah in the background and just kind of like um yeah, all of this chaos happening, everyone just moving on with their day-to-day lives as if they're numb. Um, so it's kind of like a whole sort of idea with that. And I thought that's that sort of direct contrast from him moving on from that fight with the samurai to go on to do more heroic things and kind yeah, of later make on people in the film, more aware. Later on in the film, there's another uh, terrorist bombing and he, you see him helping people. He's, he's in there helping people up. He's like putting his coat around a, a, yeah. a woman who's, you know, been injured. And so that's a real, a real change. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. My last, my last favorite scene that I'm going to pick out is uh, Harry Tuttle getting consumed by paperwork. Oh my for God. His death. It's so good. It so... just has so much imagery to it and it's just fantastic. So I much love build because it. it's right at the end as well. Like yeah. it's oh, yeah, right, yeah. It's... right, right at the end. And they've gone through this whole rigmarole of everything that's going on. And then you just see Robert De Niro just throw away all of his kind of freedom fighter gear, kind of terror, terror gear and stuff. And then just kind of put on this hat as you think he's going to walk away yeah, and get like disguised. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly he gets like paper just stuck on a shoe and then suddenly he's covered in paper. Yeah, it's like magnet attracting all this paperwork. Yeah. So it's all like forms and stuff, applications and God knows what uh, receipts and stuff. And they just cover him up until he's just like a big mound and then Sam Lowry runs in to like try and pull it off him and he's just gone. It's just a big pile of paper and it just yeah. blows away i just i love that so much i love that there's scene. so much there isn't there there's yeah so in much that one talk. scene there's so much said in that yeah. it's great oh it's great so with mine mm. um things i want to talk about things i want to give uh kind of uh summits and highlights to i think number one Jim Broadbent is just fucking fabulous in this yeah. movie. So <laughs> fabulous. And I loved it. As the plastic surgeon. Yeah, as the plastic surgeon for his mum. And just kind of going... But he doesn't overdo it for an 80s movie, which yeah. I found, you know, very interesting. Yeah, we were saying that. Like, he's, he's definitely a camp guy, but they don't, like, you know, mince it up to, no. a, to a point where it's, uh, you know, offensive. Yeah. <laughs> which happened a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, especially so in the 80s. He kind of nailed it, really. But yeah, totally. Really? And it was, yeah, I thought that was, that was amazing. I think the scene I mentioned earlier where there's all these kind of ducks and stuff and, yeah. the, and Harry Tuttle comes in to, f- uh, to kind of fix this, um, the, 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 the sort of the he- central heating and stuff yeah. in his house. And then, cause he's a freelance, uh, what's it? A freelance, freelance heating engineer, heating at engineer your service. at your service yeah. slash freedom fighter. Yeah, is that what we're yeah, gonna call it? Yeah, yeah. 
So in the eyes of the state, probably a terrorist, but it's yeah, very, yeah, like... He's only a terrorist because he's not... I mean, he says it himself because Sam Lowry goes like, oh, why don't you do it for the Department of I don't yeah. know, Heating or whatever? He just goes, too much paperwork. I thought, yeah. I want to do it. I didn't get into it for the paperwork. Yeah. And then he gets killed by paperwork at the end. There you go. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> his weakness becomes his downfall. Yeah. But I had some ideas about specifically that scene that, okay. I, thought was, um, that I thought was amazing that I kind of want to bring up. And one of the reasons that I feel like that one impacted me some of like one of the most was this whole encounter between Sam Lowry and um, Harry Tull was kind of the establishment and the kind of day-to-day menial job meeting the self-employed entrepreneur. Yeah. And it's kind of, um, it's kind of, I wrote like, I wrote something down here and I've got like this idea that essentially in a world where, you've got so many menial jobs and so many pe- menial kind of things and people are losing their lives to, mm. to, to kind of, to this whole thing. The things, the things to stand up to justice in a totalitarian world is the, the hero in a sense is the self-employed entrepreneur. Sort yeah. Of just person. holding on to his freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Holding on to the freedom, working for themselves, doing, for, doing, um, doing, what they want and earning for themselves, yeah. not working for anyone else, for the man type thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the core point that the Terry Gilliam is kind of getting behind with this film. Yeah, for sure. And to the point where it's played up so much to the point where that Robert De Niro's character, Harry Tuttle, is kind of like a Batman-esque character. Yeah, Like yeah. he comes in, <laughs> fixes the heating, does everything, dude. Next thing you know, he's on a zip line, fucking swinging away. Going in and out, you know? Yeah, off to guard Gotham again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Saving the city. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is crazy. That kind of like, that. there's so much, there's so much in this film to do with like, you know, freedom versus working for someone else yeah. or like, you know, wor- or working for someone else. The only response being like this kind of anarchistic response. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, and that showed in so, so many ways. Like when they burn the car, uh, where he, like Sam Lowry runs like runs into encounters with these kids and he thought and thinks they're being all sweet and stuff. He's just driven his fucking 1960s cartoon Jetsons car all the way through <laughs> the house, all the way through the city to end up in this garage. Sees these poor kids, talks to them for a little bit, runs on with his life. Little does he know one of them's got like a can of gasoline and like some, some matches, matches and just yeah. sets his whole car on fire. So yeah. it just ruin like ruins the whole thing. So. And it's amazing. It's like it's like that. It's like he's kind of saying, "Well, anarchy is the response." You know, anarchy is what like it's a reaction. It's a reaction yeah. to this kind of totalitarian world where no one has freedom and no one's thinking for themselves. Yeah, yeah. And the film wants you to really look at, take a hard look at what he's saying, just saying, "Think for yourself." Yeah, definitely. So it's, I I thought it was amazing, but um, yeah, things that stand out to me: Jim Broadbent, love him. Uh, Harry Tuttle. Love him. Harry Tiles, legend. Oh, so great. <laughs> and Kim Grist. Yeah. As this kind of Jill Layton. Oh, Jill Layton. Yeah, yeah, the character. Jill, Jill Layton. Layton. Yeah, yeah. I thought you, sorry, I thought you were making a comparison. No, but she, that's what I was getting to, is yeah. that she's, her characters, in direct comparison to in Bruges that we were talking about earlier, her characters yeah. really, she thinks for herself. She makes yep. her own decisions and she doesn't care about sam lowry until like there's you know until he's like in her face you know she's getting on she's doing what she's doing 
And it really reminds me of this kind of like Ripley-esque character yeah. or uh, Sarah, Sarah Connor as well from like the Terminator movies. She's really got that vibe yeah. around her of someone who's like kind of making their own decisions and thinking for themselves. Yeah, she's for like themselves. A, it's like a tough chick. Yeah. You know, like Sam Lowry drives the like weird little car and she's in the big boy truck. Yeah. She's, she's driving, driving a literal truck. It's a huge thing. And yeah. She's like in full control. She knows yeah. It's fine. Full she, control. Yeah, that's it. And it's exactly because what it's, she's doing. It's, it's because of this idea that she is thinking for herself. Yeah. And she doesn't, you know, give in to working for someone else or. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. I, speaking about that scene in particular another thing that i loved one of the small little bits that i loved about this movie was when they go to the power plant mm. and they get to the power plant and they market this power plant in the movie as like being like a beach resort where they've got all the power plant employees playing <laughs> yeah, yeah. volleyball in the middle of the power plant yeah. sort of place well that was amazing yeah there's there's so much like in here to unpack and to talk about yeah um so with that Let's get into some theories, man. Yeah, well, uh, you give me yours first. You want me to get? Yeah, yeah, I've got a pretty definitive one. Okay. So yeah. So I got into a lot of a lot of stuff that I was that I was thinking of uh, with this movie, and the main the main thing that I was that I was thinking is like it talks it talks about how the the whole thing skips between different genres. It goes from noir, goes from dystopian future, goes into fantasy. And it's this idea of there's even a line in the movie where it talks about the ghost in the machine. Yeah. And I'm thinking about these air ducts that are made present in the real world that he's in. Mm -hmm. And that really eludes this imagery to me of the Wachowskis in the Matrix, of being yeah, plugged yeah. into the machine, oh, yeah, of not thinking that. for yourself and that kind of that kind of whole thing. I know this predates yeah. that whole thing. Well, but, they're so invasive and they're in every scene that it's not just people's homes, it's restaurants, it's the, you know, when they're in the shopping mall, it's everywhere has these ducks and it's so the, the government can just get in and have a peek around whenever the hell they want. Yeah, and it's that surveillance thing and it's, uh, I feel like what the movie is kind of talking about here is this idea of, like I said, like, in a, in a totalitarian world where you can't work, where you're working for someone else, you lose creativity, you lose crea you lose critical thought, and you lose yourself. Yeah. And the only way to fight against that is by working for yourself, thinking for yourself, and challenging these ideas and challenging what's around you. I feel you look at the change that Sam Lowry makes throughout the whole movie, and it's only when he starts helping other people that he kind of wakes up and sees what's wrong with this totalitarian yes. regime yeah. sort of thing. And this pointless bureaucracy yeah that's the two-word whole thing that describes the whole movie is pointless bureaucracy yeah. and there's that great bit right at the start just to point out pointless bureaucracy where he wakes up um he's late for work and he goes to have a shower and yeah. where the shower head is it's not a shower head it's just like a, a plug and it drops all the way down on a lever and plugs up the bath and then it starts running a bath yeah, <laughs> yeah totally Instead of just having a shower head there yeah it's just a shower head that just goes to a plug yeah pointless thing yeah. yeah and it's a whole thing and everyone needs a form to do anything yeah and everyone everyone you know everyone that needs to get anything done no one's talking to anyone no one's accepting responsibility for anything no one's talking to other people yeah and it's only when he opens himself up to other people and starts talking to other people that he realizes you know there's more to this yes to the point where he takes a drastic view terry gilliam feels so strongly about this that he feels like the best way to kind of 
to enforce this idea is by showing us and glamorizing the terror that's around yeah. these people and these people that are like fighting to be heard. And I had some really interesting questions about that whole thing about, do you make a movie like that in today? Like in today's world, how does a movie like this look like post everything that we've been through with all of these terror, all the terror stuff that we see every day kind of yeah. around, around this world? Because it, it seems almost kind of, it seems almost mm, kind of grotesque in a certain way. Yes. Where all, all of these kind of big explosions are happening. And the way that I feel Terry Gilliam feels about it is in it's a, a response to the, to the establishment. And it's mm. an anarchistic taking power. And it's kind of glamorizing it in a way that I feel I felt was in today's world, like post- everything that we've kind of seen it's yeah you you just i don't feel like you make movies like that anymore well see i think um i think to have all that uh tragedy in the background yeah would not happen anymore um you know people would uh you know kind of think that you're trivializing it yeah um where the point in this film is that the people in power are trivializing it yeah and that is the message it's like that's why it's so terrible. So it's like, there's so many scenes where just horrible, horrible stuff happening just in the background. Yeah. Just while, you know, uh, Sam Lowry's, I don't know, filling out some paperwork or whatever. And he's getting on with his daily life. And there's, you know, someone I don't know, losing a leg behind him or God it's knows It's part what. of the narrative, you know? Yeah. And it's part I of think the... it's such a great way to give that message across, but I agree. I, I don't think it get made now. Um, I, I doubt that the heroic climax of a movie would be the fantasy of someone blowing up the establishment where they work and it would have that kind of impact of this mm. kind of this of you'd see him you know push the push the button push the detonator down watch the building explode and all of these characters that you've got to notice throughout, throughout the movie while they are still subdued to the machine in a sense they are essentially dead yeah. and you're kind of watching it with this kind of heroic movie as he's like he's beating it he's getting through and it's like he's yeah. also killed everyone that he knows yeah, yeah, yeah you know definitely and it's 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 weird like that sort of thing doesn't you, you wouldn't get... I don't feel like you would get a movie like that now, post 9-11 or post everything that's kind of... Mm. Um, that's happened. But it's also... You're, there's so many layers to it. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I was going to kind of uh, jump on from that is here's the thing with that is that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. totally. So that didn't happen. The uh, terrorism is never explained. Yeah. There's no... I mean... Um, Jill says it when he's in the trunk. She, she goes, how many terrorists have you actually seen? Yeah. How many terrorists have you actually ever seen? So there's a good chance that uh, the um, the government is the one who's staging these terrorist bombings. Mm. And that's another aspect of it. As an aspect of control. Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. To keep them in fear. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's so many ways you could read it, but um, yeah, I think, I think without the ambiguity to this film, it, it, it might have some problems. It's also got a lot of things to say about middle management. Like we talked about oh, yeah. pointless bureaucracy. If there's yeah. one, if there's one scene or film that I would link this to, it's Office Space. Yeah, and yeah. in the sense of that, that <laughs> new, that whole scene with the middle management guy, yeah. you know, just get those TPS reports. TPS reports. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but it's it's totally this whole thing of pointless bureaucracy, pointless yeah. middle management that just doesn't, yeah, is essentially doesn't need to happen. And people shifting the blame. Yeah. Where like he confronts his friend about killing um uh Harry Buttle. Is his first name Harry? It's someone Buttle. Anyway. Yeah. And uh, he goes, no, no, I I killed the right man. That's the man that was on the sheet that was given to me. The sheet that was given to the me guys, was given the wrong yeah, man. Yeah, wrong the man guys who it. wrote the sheet out got the wrong man. I killed the right man. It was on my sheet. It's got nothing to do with me. So, yeah. dude, you killed a man. <laughs> it's crazy. But, and some of that imagery really revokes. It's really something that's influenced a lot of stuff. Because I look at that particular character, Jack, and yeah, I see great American Psycho. I see Christian Bale mm, in American yeah, Psycho with the white with the white shirt. And when he's coming out with all the blood on him, I yeah. specifically think about Christian Bale in that rain in that raincoat sort of thing yeah. with the axe and the Huey kind of Lewis and the news and the Huey Lewis and the news all over him so <laughs> that's a it's a good point yeah it's got it's got this whole it's got this whole vibe to it that's just um that's really interesting so I'm just checking we're checking you've covered all your I'm checking over your points my notes um yeah and da, 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 da. that's kind of my you thing. Got it. Yeah. That's kind of my thing is that the answer to menial jobs and the answer to like kind of to your response to, to that is to think for yourself and to work for yourself. Yes. And to wake up from being, uh, you know, being part of the machine. Yeah. And it's a film that I, it's like, I feel like I'm so glad I waited until now Mm. till i'm you know in my late 20s working and a job to like see it for the first time yeah because i feel like if i saw this when i was a teenager or if i was younger i wouldn't get or the, wouldn't the like the first time i saw this i did not get it yeah i enjoyed it because visually what's not to enjoy but i didn't get the message it's only yeah. after a couple of viewings like you know after i matured a bit grew up i watched it again and then you know through stages of my life I, it's one of those films i keep coming back to but um yeah i know what you mean like once you're kind of in a sense part of the system <laughs> that's it that's it and then you watch it you're like oh shit <laughs> you're like ah <laughs> yeah yeah for sure totally um, but yeah this idea yeah i would definitely say this is a great film to watch if you're feeling frustrated at your job if you're going through the motions watch this movie yeah because if this what if this if this film is one thing it's a fantasy of escapism Yes. Um, trying to escape the kind of menial monotonous day-to-day definitely and it's it's amazing I, for uh, that funnily enough i also get that same feeling from watching office space yeah <laughs> you know like at the end totally he's, actually he's yeah. just doing like like his day laboring job with his next door neighbor and yeah. just and he's just happy and he's yeah. like i'm out of fucking office <laughs> it's great it's great. Anyway, so throw it at me, Lester. So, uh, with your one in mind, I think you got you got um, pretty pretty very similar to what I got actually. But I'm just gonna give you some some things to think about. Cool. So, um, obviously, we've talked about uh, Sam Lowry being cold and unfeeling in the first half of the movie. Then yep. he opens up to people. He learns how to interact with people, and his emotions take more of a, a part on the stage, and he transforms yeah right so with that in mind let me ask you a question i'm happy to answer <laughs> throw it at me so after uh, my one viewing so Tarek, and um, my scholarship in terry gilliam <laughs> after watching one movie and two movies now throw it at me i've got i've got this so i'm Tarek, ready for it 
why do you think that no other main character except for Sam Lowry can see Jill Layton? That is a great question. My original <laughs> response is that she's not real. Is she not real? That's um, certainly one of the theories, and it's one that I subscribe to. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a fair point. She, no one reacts to her. She is Sam Lowry's emotions. Shit. Yes. So, in the first half of the film... Blowing my mind, Lester. Right, you ready? <laughs> so, the first half of the film, when does he first see her... He is handing that check to the widow. Yep. The kid, uh, her son, pushes him up against a mirror. A mirror smashes on the floor. Yeah. She looks down from the hole well, in the he ceiling. he sees her first, doesn't he? He sees her in the reflection of the shard. He sees her in the reflection. Yeah. He doesn't see her face to face. No. He sees her in the reflection of that broken mirror on the floor. Yeah. Okay. Next time he sees her, it is on a computer screen at his work on a screen it's not face to face um then there's a, a lot more of that and that's when he's so the, the first reaction when he's handing that check to that widow and the kid attacks him because they're just so upset and angry that's his first switch into fucking have an emotional reaction to this this is crazy it's the first time he sees Joe Layton. Because he's so closed off and cold yes. for the whole yeah. rest of it yeah. until she comes in. And then he's almost playing it up to 11. Yeah. Like when he's around her, when they first meet face to face, he's... Well, the first time they meet properly face to face, he's uh, he's already killed the samurai yeah. in the dream. So he's recognized that he's part of the problem. Yeah. He started opening himself up to people. And that is when they meet face to face because he's controlling his emotions for the first time. Mm. So from that, uh, they're then in the truck, right? And she's like being very standoffish with him, understandably. Um, but that's because he doesn't know how to deal with these new things that are going on in his head. Yeah. Um, wait, wait, let me look at my notes because I... Okay, here we go. So, the so obviously the first time he ever sees her is in a dream. Yeah. As another woman but and it's the throughout the film woman. you're constantly you're constantly jumping back and forth between what's seen as the dream and what's seen as reality yes exactly yeah and uh so that is i mean that that's basically it jill layton is sam lowry's emotions and his response to everyone else and it's who he wants to be and that's why she drives the big boy truck and it's why she's confident and it's why she does all this stuff. That's why she stands up to power. Yes. And uh, another really cool scene is when um, they're in the shopping mall and they're kind of like having like a bit of a, a fight and um, his mum's friend comes over in a wheelchair. Yeah. Remember that? She hides behind a mirror. So her, her the, the mum's friend just and sees then him, him twice fighting against himself. She sees him twice in yeah. the, the reflection of the mirror and in himself. Yeah, and that's a big like wink of yeah. like that's what's happening. Wow. Yeah, and then um, when she uh, you know she gets killed. Yeah, I mean at that point it. See the the thing with the ending of the film is it's all to do with we haven't really spoiled we haven't said about the twist at the end yet. Have we, we have not talked about the twist at the end so, yet. So I just before just yeah, before we get into that. it, I'm gonna jump into the point that I mentioned earlier in the film uh, earlier in the podcast. So we were talking about the production notes, the specific bit that we're talking about where the studio wanted to cut out is the bit where we where Jonathan Price wakes up and realizes. Well, he doesn't wake up. 
but the point is no. the film cuts back and it re- realized that the whole last 20 minutes of the film 30 minutes of the film has been a fantasy yeah and it's not real he's being interrogated he's being interrogated and he has lost his mind and lost himself in this fantasy world yeah where you know harry tuttle's come to save him and he's got on the girl and he's kind of um kind of had this amazing uh, like amazing sort of life and it's all kind of wrapped up in a bow nicely for him when in reality he's just stuck there being interrogated yeah, and he's, and he's the, basically the, brain dead at and that he's point. brain dead at that point he's lost himself because he's just yeah. still there being part of the machine and the studio wanted to cut it so before that whole bit it for those made last any time. sense without no. that it wouldn't have made any fucking sense it would have just been it'd been like they drive off into the sunset you'd be like what the fuck <laughs> what <laughs> but they were doing test screens and then they just said oh yeah that plays better it's just like doesn't make any sense no, it doesn't. and that last shot is totally the whole point it's of the movie fundamental so yeah. much so that the whole credits play like just staying on that last shot and you're just yeah. watching him in the distance brain dead yeah for the whole thing yeah and um so yeah so that's kind of spoilers the ending yeah. of the film <laughs> um <laughs> Spoilers for a film that came out in 1985. Yeah, you should have seen it by now. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's a, yeah, that's just the whole, it's the a whole great, whole ending. ending. So my my thing with that is, uh, so the film kind of it's up to you to decide roughly where at what point of the film he's getting interrogated. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like at the end. So for me, it's when uh, he it's when jill is announced as dead right because there's um before that he goes and wipes her records and he comes back and goes i killed you you're no more yes so there's a kind of you know there's a power struggle between his old self and his emotions there yeah and then i mean this is very up for interpretation but then at that point he's in the padded cell right and his old boss comes in and says oh no she's dead and he's like no no that was me i I did that and he's like no it it happened twice which is weird it's like oh okay She's actually dead. Yeah. That's them getting into his brain. That's where I see it happening. See, for me... But that's only, for, only what I'm thinking. Yeah. For me, the bit where I feel like it starts um, becoming all a fantasy yeah. was the bit where he recognizes Jack and Jack's coming out with the mask of the mm. stuff that he sees in his fantasies and his dreams. And he's going... He's going to interrogate him, and then he gets saved yeah. by uh, Harry the, the gunshot on yeah. Jack is could also be um, mirrored in like them getting into his, you know, a bit of blood come out when they're getting into his brain. Right? Yeah, like that that tool going into his skull. Yeah, boom. Yeah. That's it. And that then, would be the other. That was yeah. My original kind of thought of like, oh, that's when it happens. Yeah. Then I think maybe it starts a little bit before. Well, that, but it's it's definitely it would up for fit. It would fit the idea of it them getting into his brain earlier because this mask that he's wearing to interrogate people is a mask we've never seen before until this point, except from in, in his dreams. fantasies. Yeah. As the ghouls of these kind of samurai people that he has to fight. Yes. As a superhero type thing. Um. Yeah. There's there's so much here for like. If you're a fan of like fantasy superhero films, if you're a fan of like films that have a message in terms of like dystopian future, yeah. Blade Runner, that sort of thing, there's definitely there's a good like aesthetic of like Metropolis as well. Oh yeah, definitely. There's a lot in, of that in there. Yeah, one hundred percent. 
definitely lots of that and lots of yeah the thing i go back to is the matrix mm. this idea of the the phil the philosophical ideas behind the matrix of being plugged in and and you know not thinking for yourself yeah that's one that i definitely think come back to but it's it's, it's all done in this shades of being a neo-noir type yeah movie which is just yeah it it blows my mind and i definitely feel like it's a it's a film to properly talk about and to properly at dissect i'd need to watch it at least three four five times more. yeah yeah for sure like um, I, I need to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this has officially become a brazil podcast yeah. <laughs> where we just talk about the movie brazil every week but yeah it's definitely I'd, I'd say you know if you haven't seen it before get some friends around who get some friends who aren't gonna like like just kind of talk over it and stuff get some friends around who want to see it as well equally then, though if you did have friends that just want to talk over it you can like completely appreciate this movie on a surface level oh you can appreciate just the, the and you visuals, can just laugh at it line, and you can just laugh sure. at the absurdity of it because it is absurd and yeah. it is crazy there's some great like slapstick moments in oh there yeah totally well. you can have some popcorn just like yeah. i was i was watching this thinking like this this would be a great movie for like one of the movie night things that yeah, I, yeah I do, definitely but, yeah but definitely if you want to like there's so much to peel back when you look into it it's a good film to like if you're gonna if you want to watch it with your friends and then you know go for a pint and debate over what the hell was going on this is perfect yeah so it's so surreal yeah from like oh i love it all the david there's so much like there's david lynchian sort of stuff in there as well like oh yeah 100 percent just (laughs) recommend recommend um so any more you want to add to your sort of theories and stuff so you got Jill's the emotions yeah i mean that's the big one really um oh the, just a little side note as well is um the apartment that sam lives in yeah is uh representative of his state of mind throughout the film it starts off all orderly and then it gets a little bit messy when he starts to realize stuff and then when he's lost his fucking mind is when it's he just goes back chaos. there and it is just pipes everywhere. Those those two dudes in there. Yeah. He drowns them in sewage shit. Yeah. Which is oh hilarious. Oh my god, that scene. <laughs> Robert De Niro just switches the switches the pipes. The air to the sewer. And then the, the yeah. yeah, we didn't mention this earlier, but the so they're in like hazmat suits, yeah, basically. These these kind of uh state well like sort of central intel uh, central intelligence yeah. like, like government approved heat, heating engineers. people yeah. that came over to fix his uh heating he didn't let them in first time because he had robert de niro and robert de niro was great and they didn't have the right paperwork and they didn't have the right paperwork so Can't he sent in. them back flying they came back with the right paperwork realized something had gone wrong and tore his house like apartment apart yeah and then later on in the film, he's not, it's not even his apartment anymore. Like they're just there in yeah. hazmat suits, just tearing this whole place apart because he's an enemy of the state. Yeah. So Robert De Niro gets these two valves, one for the sewage, one for the air conditioning or which they're plugged into. Apparently. It's like their oxygen supply for, cause it's like really, it's like freezing in there. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like nitroglycerin levels of cold yeah, in his house. Freeze. So he switches them around their hazmat suits fill of shit and you're just (laughs) watching it from ground to like up top (laughs) fill up and then just explode and it's oh it's it's intense yeah to say the least but that was yeah that's just a there's some good uh like shock gore stuff in there for people who are into that too oh yeah 
It's oh, definitely. It's got It literally has everything. This film has whatever you want. Uh, <laughs> what you want, it's got it. Uh, Neo Noir thriller, got it. Yeah, uh, it's like a bag of rubbish. fantasy superhero type thing with someone that's got wings, ghouls, and samurais. Got it. Got it. Uh, like horror elements with like weird baby ghoul things. A person dies and their coffin is full of gelatin because they've like had too much plas- and plastic surgery. Oh, so and he knocks good. over the coffin <laughs> and it's just jelly and bones and grossness it's everywhere so at their funeral. And then his mum is like, he, he sees her as Jill Layton, his girlfriend. And he's like, Mom! Yeah, because he's got a weird attachment to his mum and that's yeah. why her face is on her yeah that's weird that's why he's crazy <laughs> um yeah no that that i've i've seen this film so many times and i always forget about the coffin yeah that the coffin. Jelly coffin oh man the pork pie coffin it's not good <laughs> yeah it's something <laughs> it's a pork pie coffin <laughs> that hasbro pork pie coffin that haribo coffin yeah oh oh god it's yeah, that's one. not yeah. So what are we doing? We're we gonna do. Uh, I think we're gonna yeah. Moving on. Yeah, I think that's a great point to move. That's on. the best. End. Yeah, let's leave it at that. But yeah, so I think takeaways from this movie. There's so much to kind of unpack and dissect and stuff with this movie. But takeaways is that it's about freedom. It's about fighting for yourself. It's yeah. about thinking for yourself. It's about not working for the man. It's mm-hmm. about not being part of the machine. And it's about controlling yeah. your emotions. And human compassion. Yeah, and connection. Yeah. And more the lack of and the turning a blind eye. Yeah. That's a big part of it that mm-hmm. we kind of hinted at with the kind of dividers and the restaurant. Another point I kind of wanted to get into before we move on, the restaurant scene yeah. where they're coming out. Another thing of this kind of like fake world oh, that they're their, a part like, of their soylent green food they've got their soylent green food but yeah. each plate that he brings out has a polaroid of how the of food should, should look yeah and then this kind of that's a super interesting scene to talk about in nowadays where you've got this instagram culture where everyone takes pictures of their food oh, and puts a filter yeah. on it and then you look at it and you've got and you've got what what should be or what you're putting forward from this this is a high class establishment where everyone's kind of you know paying top dollar for all this food yeah. what they're paying for is a picture what they're actually eating is shite you yeah know? it's just slop it's just slop yeah and it's it's such an interesting point that i've picked up on watching that for watching watching it for the first time there and yeah, i just that's thought a really good point what putting that in context now i mean this yeah. was film was in the 80s instagram was not around in the 80s yeah polaroids were though but like looking at that through a lens of today i thought was a very interesting sort of thing well because people put across this uh image of themselves online that's usually not what they're like every day yeah you know it's all a mask yeah um yeah that's a really good point and it's all about it's it's all about that you know it's all about getting rid of the mask yeah of what of who you're working for of what you believe in all of that stuff and it's just yeah so if you're on the fence and somehow you kept listening through all of our warnings. <laughs> yeah, if you were like, I don't know if I want to watch this one. I'm going to keep listening to these guys. And then you let us spoil this whole movie for you. Um, <laughs> P.S. It was all a dream at the end. Um, yeah, you let us spoil this whole movie and you're still on the fence of whether you want to watch it or not. Just go out, find it, watch it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. That, that I mean, this has jumped right up to one of my top Terry Gilliam films. Definitely, film. so great. Uh, so with that, 
we're gonna we're gonna introduce yeah. Well, reintroduce our movie brew score chart. We've got an official chart now. Yeah, that uh, you can find us on a social media and and find it. Yeah, we'll put it up there. You can have a look. Be like, what are these guys talking about? Yep, 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 yep. I just like to uh, preface it with uh, this order. I've kind of done in order of strength of the tea <laughs> rather than my preference. But when we say strength of the tea, like we haven't checked the numbers. No, no. Like as in not. terms of percentages or a specific, we've just put numbers on that. It's a goof. It's definitely a goof. <laughs> <laughs> but just like uh, because my favorite tea is green tea but that's like in the middle yeah but i wouldn't put that at the top because i know most people would just be like Ugh. i love a detox i love there a chamomile tea that's literally the bottom one chamomile is the worst one on the chart yeah there you yeah. go you're not having anything you can't get lower than that no but we're going strength of tea right yes strength of tea so with that we're giving this movie what we're giving this movie i'm giving this movie an l gray yeah a strong 8.52 from the top a thank you l gray very very cool <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna I'm, i mean i've i'm by it's, it's one of my favorite films so it's, it's top it's tippy top for me yeah you tippy go top black go, tea yeah top notch makes you feel alive again uh, <laughs> 9.94 it's the highest number you can get on our scale that's the highest number on our scale Doesn't get any higher than 8.52 9.94 that's it l gray that's the black tea yeah. that's it <laughs> there's no 10 um yeah definitely not <laughs> not that, on this that score. would be ridiculous not on this score chart it's kind of a fitting chart for a terry gilliam kind of oh Tara, <laughs> totally i think it totally fits with the absurdity of the yeah. movie so keep it in pointless. that spirit we're gonna give yeah give it an earl gray from me and a black tea from you very high marks from both of us uh, yeah definitely this seek this out if you haven't seen it it's weird it's amazing it will change the way you think about certain things yeah. Um, and it will make you question things. At times, it will make you question your own life while you're watching it. That definitely happened to me while, yeah, I, was, yeah. uh, while I was watching it. Being yeah, it like, does. it, it kind of, well, I mean, it, even if it doesn't make you que- question so much, it'll kind of remind you of like, oh, yeah, I should really be more nice or what, you know what I mean? Just yeah, like, but it's also nudge. in like a way of like, it's a trip. Like, it, oh, there's yeah. a point where the film ends and it becomes like a trip. Yep. Like, just, I'm yep. just tripping on this movie right now. Yeah, don't have any of those gummies when you're watching this, guys. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't do that. <laughs> it's not a good time like that. And, but it's, yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's amazing. I, there's so much in it to unpack. I mean, we kind of, we touched the surface. We got into the nitty gritty of some stuff as well. But I really yeah. think that if you're thinking about this, this is a film you want to sit on. This oh, is a yeah, film. Yeah. This I is mean, a film you want to meditate on for a little bit. This podcast could be like six hours long if we were just going to keep... I could keep talking about this forever, but we're not going to do that. Yeah. We're just going to tell you to go and watch the film. I mean, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Seek it out. It's great. Um, I think the next time we get together, the next film we're going to be talking mm. about is Sunshine. Yeah, I think we landed on Sunshine. Sunshine by Danny Boyle. So it's we're going to jump in there. Um, the one thing I want to talk about before we wrap up with this whole thing is we're shining light on a new section of the podcast because I went to a uh, screening of Benjamin last night uh, for Q and A session with Simon Amstor. So I'm starting a I'm starting a new I'm starting a new session where we're going to call it shout outs yeah. to any sort of British films or things that we've seen out recently. And with that, I went to see Simon Amstel do a Q and A and watch Benjamin. And if you're on the fence, if you if it's still out in cinemas or if it's on your streaming platforms at this point when this comes out, please seek it out and check it out. It's an amazing story of basically 
a hyper-fictionalized version of Simon Amstel's life in his early 20s and him wrestling with being an awkward gay person in his 20s and reflecting on his past relationships. So if you've seen if you if you're interested in that sort of thing, I'd definitely check it out. It's extremely funny. It made me feel the feels and also was great and it's just very well written. So and he's a great person too. So if you fancy yeah, checking that, guy. he's a funny, funny very guy. Intelligent and funny. Yeah, very so good. Yeah, you should definitely check that out as well. Yeah. I think you, I think you'd enjoy. Yeah, that I will. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and watch that. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Um, right. So with that, sunshine next. Uh, sunshine next. Let's let's wrap it up. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. So, if you want to reach the show, you can email. Uh, if you want to for like longer sort of questions, if you got if you got anything you want to reach us with, you can uh, contact us on hello at themoviebrew.com. If you want to reach us out on Twitter, you can tweet us at themoviebrew, uh, facebook.com slash themoviebrew as well. Send us suggestions. Send us things that you want to see. Yeah, if you have a British film in mind that we might not know of, or even yeah, even though even if we might know of, just just. Tell us that you want us to do it because the more we see it, the more we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, exactly. And if you got the ideas, we'll do it. if you got takes that you of our podcast that you agree with or disagree with, yeah, let us know what you think. That'd be that'd be fun. Yeah, so we can have a little conversation. Let us know. Get get on get on that social medias, and we'll um, we'll hit you back. Uh, for more stuff, if you want to check check it out, go to themoviebrew.com. Thank you to uh, Forest Fires Creations for our artwork, and thank you to Jake Brett for our theme tune. Yeah. Uh, big fan of that. So, yeah, with that said, we'll catch you on the next episode of The Movie Brew. Mm-hmm.